once. Good to see you. To morning, to morning, this morning, we'll be continuing with um, the idea, the understanding of how the gospel, it leaves a mark that there is... Um, that there is evidence of the gospel on the people of the gospel. It's God's intention that the gospel has an appearance uh, in the world. It has, uh, it has an ability to be seen on humanity. It, it's not about a cross around your neck or, or wearing clothes a certain way, but there's something about how it changes and affects humanity that God is very interested in the reality that it has the power to portray his reality. You get that piece? It portrays his reality. It's not about portraying your goodness or your kindness or your graciousness or your unconditional love. It's about presenting a reality that is beyond you. You see, God has the power and the ability to present something of value for every person that is beyond you. If you really prove yourself to be good and wholesome and moral and great and kind and loving and just the, just the most ultimate human being. You know, the truth is it has very little value for the people around you. They like to experience maybe your kindness, maybe your generosity. But at the end of the day, is there something there that they can take home with them? Is there something there that actually becomes intrinsically theirs? And it becomes a part of who they are. And so this goodness that they admire in you becomes the goodness that is now in them. And it becomes the substance of that from which real change is found. You see, that's the gospel. And so it must leave a mark. It's the authentication of the gospel. Years ago, um, and I actually found this on YouTube, there was a, when I was a kid, there was a Bugs Bunny commercial or a cartoon. And, I, and it didn't make any sense to me when I was a kid, and you will appreciate this, but at the very end, Bugs Bunny was working in a bomb factory. And his job was to test the bombs to make sure that they were, they were good, they were not duds. And if it was a dud, he would write dud on it. And if it wasn't, uh, well, he, the way he tested it is he would hit the bomb with a hammer. And if it went off, you see, then you know it was good. And, and so that's how we operate with the gospel. God wants to blow it up all the time to show that it's good. In, uh, <clears throat> in Romans 1, we're going to review a few verses here to really appreciate what the gospel was sent to do. This is Paul speaking, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the, uh, of the good news, the gospel, about Jesus Christ, it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. So that, that's what it is. It is a power at work. And it reaches out and it has the power to save and to rescue everyone who embraces it. It says this good news, this gospel, tells us how God makes us right. It tells us how it happens. It tells us what is done. You see, for humans, the gospel is hard to really appreciate. You know why? Because it, it's not like a trinket. Uh, it's not something you can earn or buy. It's a little too simplistic. Okay, so all I have to do is believe that it's real. 
Well, not exactly. It's that belief that begins to affect you and change you. It is a belief that you embrace. So if you, if you believe something and you act upon that belief, if you believe that uh, sleeping eight hours a day you know, will make you live longer, so you start sleeping eight hours a day. So that, that is knowledge, that is understanding that has taken an effect. So, so it's a message. We talk about the gospel as a message, but it is a power that comes in a message. And it says, it is through this faith that a righteous person has life. It's when you believe, yes, I now believe that, that God made a way that I could be okay. That where we are estranged, that that would be made right. Where the things that I've done wrong, things done wrong to me, the regrets in my life, the shame, the guilt, the anger, uh, the injustice that I have experienced and I have seen in my life, that there is a place where all those can be made right. You hear how grave and huge that is? So that all those things can be made right. It, how history can be made right. And it has taken us to the text in Titus um, where we are really looking at how the gospel is revealed in people. This message of everything being made right through God himself. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers the salvation to everyone. To everyone. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and no to worldly passions and to live a self-controlled life. Upright and godly lives right now. Right now, in the world where that is all challenge, it teaches us to do that. So somehow this message can teach. Somehow this message has the power to counsel and to teach and to, and to bring about mentoring within. I want you to see this, this doesn't, it's not something that happens on Sunday morning. It's not what I'm doing right now. This is something different. It's something that you don't have to go somewhere to get it. You don't have to find somebody to hear it. It is something that when we receive it, it begins to activate and operate from within. And so now it is that power resides on the inside. And it's from that place everything becomes possible. And if you think about it, for it to be for everyone, this must be so. It must be something that becomes resident immediately. And that its power is complete and ready immediately. Whether we can embrace it all at that moment, whether we can understand it all at that moment, that's not near as important as the fact that it's all resident in that moment. That knowledge, that understanding resides and God comes in his spirit to reside in us, becoming this voice. You realize many people take verses like these about it will teach you how to, you know, resist worldly passions and ungodliness. And we see it as a behavior control mechanism. That ultimately God is seriously concerned about your behavior. And it's not true. It's not what the gospel was sent to do. Fix your behavior. Even if I have a behavior problem, that is not the actual intention of the gospel. 
Its intention is to restore me. You see, my ungodliness is not my nature. It's not me. When I, when I behave poorly, when, I, when I'm under the power of temptations that take me in the wrong direction, that is not the nature God originally gave me. You see, the power and the freedom that's represented here is these things I can now discern and resist. I now actually understand they're not me. How many people have said, well, I just have a bad temper. I'm, it's just the way I am. You know, we're impatient. We're judgmental. We don't like to forgive. We never forget a wrong. Uh, we hold grudges. And we can begin to feel this is just who I am. It's how I'm wired. Some people are outgoing and nice and blah, blah, blah. And I'm more of a, you know, you can dress it up. I'm a, I'm a pistol. I'm a firecracker. I'm, I'm this. I'm that. What you're really saying is I have a temper and I don't really care if you like it or not. Jesus would say, that's not really who you are. He would not say, you know, we, we intentionally created you with a temper. We intentionally created you so that you would go off on people. No, he, he created us to reflect the very image of God. And our hope every day is that he's more patient than we deserve. He's more forgiving than we deserve. He's more loving than we deserve. We really hope God is all those things. And God's news is, not only am I like that, so are you. So are you. You see, this message here is not about legalism. And now we're going to judge your behavior. Is it being godly? But this is a message of freedom that I no longer have to say yes to this way I've grown up in this broken identity of Bill. But I, with the power from within, can be the Bill I was created to be. That's marvelous news, isn't it? That's good news. That's why it's called good news. <clears throat> it's so that I can be free. This message says that I am saved from the broken identity that I have lived with and under, and that I have embraced as my own. I have. I've embraced that identity as my own, and the, the water flowing in, the news flowing in is, actually, Bill, you were created in his image. Not like that image. All this while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll come back to that in a moment. So what does it say? It says, he teaches us how to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions uh, for us to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives right now in a world that's not upright or godly, nor does he even care about upright and godly, and much of it doesn't believe in upright and godly. While you wait for that hope. I want you to see these two pieces here. One of them is, 
We can do and be the future right now. You see, it talks about we're waiting for this blessed hope, this appearing of God's glory, this time when everything is going to be made right, the time when, when sadness and sorrow and disease and sickness and all these things are going to be trumped. All of them are going to be dealt with, and they're all going to be made right. We look forward to that time. Many of us call it heaven and other things. But the scripture is clear. There's a time that's going to come for heaven and earth when everything is going to be made right. And what Jesus has called us to do is, now that my spirit lives in you, I want you to start living the way of the future. I want you to start living in such a way that the life we think of to be in the future is how we respond and operate today. And then it says, this is us right now. We're not just living in the world. We're not just at the limitations of the world. We're not just mimicking and, and mirroring the world until God makes it all different. Like we are part of the parcel of world that can't help itself. But no, you have gotten a message. You have gotten information and understanding that is a, that is a message of power. I, I was thinking about Independence Day, the movie. Um, and if you've seen the movie, uh, what, what you may or may not remember, if you're my wife, you would not remember this, but, but for other people you might, is you know they fired their nukes at it, they fired all these weapons at it, and they had these shields they couldn't get through. But when they found out when it was open at the bottom and they could shoot from the bottom side and they knew how to defeat their enemy. It was knowledge, wasn't it? They knew how to get it. And what they did is they got on the radio and they called all the other countries to tell them how to defeat it. That was good news. That was how to defeat an enemy that was lording over them that seemed impossible to beat, but there was a way. You see how good news that was just information became power and how power set people free. And that's what the gospel does. And it does it all in this backdrop that the future is coming and that that future is a part of us. And now we are people of the future. We are revealing the future. Uh, Ephesians 1, it says we heard the message and we believed the message. And in that message, we were sealed with his Holy Spirit. We were sealed with it. That was the guarantee placed in each of us. No, the world isn't perfect yet. No, you're not perfect yet. I'm not perfect yet. But, we have this seal. We have this evidence growing in us. All right? You have this evidence growing in you. And that evidence is visible. Evidence that is not visible is not evidence. Evidence, by its very nature, has to be evident. And so we become the evidence of the truth of that message. A message of good, of good information 
that has no power and no evidence is no message. There's, there's nothing of value if it has no evidence. And it doesn't matter if it has evidence for inanimate objects or for plants, but if it has no evidence in humanity, then it has no hope for humanity. Do you see God's intention? Do you see why the evidence of the gospel in humanity becomes critical? Will it work? Is it real? And this becomes the guarantee and the inheritance until the redemption of those who are, what does it call us? His possessions. We belong to him. In Philippines chapter 2, starting in verse 12, we want to work hard to show the results of salvation. We want to make it a priority for two reasons. One is, as I press into my identity, this original identity, the one where God made me in his image, one who can love, one who can forgive, one who can experience joy while you're in pain and while you're grieving. All these things are contrary to all the ways that we live. And it says, work hard to show the evidence, the results of your salvation. Obeying God with a deep reverence and fear. If we obey God, we'll be loving our enemies. If we obey God, we'll be patient because he will give it to us. And we become this conduit, receiving what we need to act like him. Receiving what we need to act like him. Receiving what we need to act like him. And what comes over time and what is called maturity is as I receive and act like him, over time it becomes me. And I'm receiving and acting like me. I'm receiving and acting like me. And the Lord is not upset about that. That's when he says, that's when you're beginning to arrive. Is when people begin to see that is who you are. It is worthy of working at that. It is worthy of the work to practice and to work hard to see the results of the gospel in you and I. It's a twofold benefit. One is it benefits us. And for us to respond and operate in the gospel in our new identity will always be a blessing to our surroundings, always. It will always be good for our surroundings and it will always be good for God. So with the gospel, it becomes God's internal resource for you and I. It becomes this message that's connected with power that reveals our identity, that reveals the purpose of God and that has a power and intensity that goes well beyond who we are as an individual. So it develops a new set of rhythms, a new set of habits. We begin to change as we practice being the people of God. We start looking at how God is and we go, well, that's not really like me. That's not really like me. That's not really like me. That's not a place to be condemned. That's a place to understand and, and hear, wow, 
All these places are places I can start to push into. I've had a number of conversations this week with different people about... um, um, I've had a number of conversations just about last week, the example I gave where if somebody walked in, just a visitor, and said, uh, can you show me the gospel? Can you show it to me? How uncomfortable most of us would feel with that question. What do you mean? I can show it to you in the Bible. I, I can, I, I, I'm not exactly sure what you're looking for. But the idea that we could say, you know, just hang around for an hour or so with us here. You'll see it all over the place. You'll see it and you'll know it. It'll be evident to you. Would you feel like comfortable saying that or would that be a, maybe a stretch? And at the end, many of us might say, well, did you see it? Others of us might say, so tell me, where did you see it? You see, I saw it today. I, I, I showed up today with this incredible joint pain. And, um, you know, you put on the strong face and you, you tell the usual lie. I'm okay. Um, I, at least I did. That doesn't mean you have to do that. And uh, I'm sitting in the office and someone comes in and is talking to me about something and, and uh, they could see I was not doing okay. And, uh, so they prayed for me, and then, um, and then other people prayed for me, and then every time somebody talked to me, they prayed for my healing. Do you realize how abnormal that is? You realize how, how different that is? I mean, that's different. And, I, and I'll tell you how different it is. This is going to sound terrible, but I've gone to churches where I can walk in not feeling well and I can talk to a lot of people and a lot of people hope I start feeling better. A lot of people say, well, I'll be praying for you, but you can get out of church very easily with no one praying for you. No one. You see, I got to see the gospel in people today because I'll bet you no less than 10 people have prayed for me today. A lot of people have prayed for me. And, and I feel better. I mean, I'm, I'm actually sitting here talking because of it. Uh, this morning, I just had tears running down my face. And, um, and so I'm excited about what I see because I get to see the gospel spontaneously. I mean, it just there was, you know? It was just there in front of me. And, and it was engaging my life. Do you see that? Do you see how different that is? Than, than just a faith or a belief system. And those around us should always have that benefit, even in the world. You know, can I pray for you? And then to do it right then. And let the Lord work through that. We, des- we develop, that would be a set of rhythms, wouldn't it? That would be different habits when somebody says, oh, I got this cold. Hey, can I pray for you? Has anyone prayed for you? You might be at work or school and probably no one has prayed for them. And we step into that role. What are we doing? You're stepping into 
presenting the future because in the future, everything is going to be made right, isn't it? And you're saying, let me step in and bring a little right, right now. Let me do that. Why? Because I am a person of the right, right now. That's what a kingdom person is. We are a person of the right, right now. So it becomes a part of our rhythms, a part of our habits. And we begin to foster this lifestyle that is engaged with Jesus, that is operating in this power, operating in this new understanding. And then in Philippians, we see how it's articulated in a very practical way. So what does this look like, this rhythms and lifestyle? It means that we can do everything without complaining. What kind of things can we do without complaining? Do you believe that? I mean, really. I mean, I I want you to imagine that. What if you said, you know, there's never a reason for me to ever complain again in my life? Is that not power? I mean, is, if that, is that not power that I can decide right now I don't have to ever complain again, even when it looks obvious that I should definitely complain? I don't have to complain. If I don't complain, what do I do? That's a God question. That's a God question. We here on earth, living in the old fleshly self, we complain. That's what we do at this spot. This is a clear complaint spot. And some of us are really good at it. Some of us like it. Uh, myself, I am good at it and I like it. That's the kiss of death because you can really, it's a work of art for some of us. And I know some of you, you're good at it too. But God sees a value in being good at different things than complaining. Do everything without complaining. Endure everything without complaining. Experience everything without complaining. You see how we need God for that? We need a new perspective in that moment when it's clear that complaining is the only realistic tool for me. And God says, you want a second opinion? I got a few thoughts. And most of us, not really. I got this one. But God has a way. And here's what happens when we choose something besides complaining. When we go to the Lord, what happens is we reveal the nature of Christ. There's where it happens. That's where it shows. That's where they will see the mark. Give up complaining and arguing for something better. So that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright light in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Let the light be seen. It's not designed to judge others. It's designed to show others an option. It's designed to show people a different way. Paul is telling Titus, you were left here in Crete to set up leadership 
to set people on the path of being a people of the mark, the mark of God. We just delved into this last week, just touched these headers. A message for the elder men, a message for the older women, a message for the younger women, and a message for the younger men. Just a few of these things, talking to the men. You must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine, to teach the old men to be temperate, worthy of respect, not just demanding respect, not just at the age of respect, but having a value, having a substance in yourself that people respect. Self-control, sound in faith, love, and endurance. Love and endurance. That you can do the things of God every day, all day long, all your life. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the ways of they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husband and their children, to be self-controlled and pure to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will align the word of God. Now, there are all kinds of ways, and you're going to see this in this text as we go. There's a lot of culture wrapped up in these texts. This text was never meant to design a theology of being a wife or a husband. It was not designed to be a theology of women must subject themselves to the men completely and totally, end of the subject. It's not true. It says, don't be addicted to much wine, women, but that doesn't mean that men can. This is not legal bullets here to create humanity around. It's giving examples in their culture, relevant in their time, of how to be different. What looks different? Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. You see how we, as, as men and women, we are an example of something different or we're an example of something not very different. So it begins to reveal that the, that the mark, the evidence of the gospel in a person has generational power. It has generational quality. Maybe our kids don't look too different from us and maybe we don't look that much like the Lord because we never embrace the power of the gospel on our everyday life in a way to produce our true identity. You see, our children are watching us, not just our biological children. But our children watch, our generations watch. Do they see something different? Do they admire your mark? Do they admire the mark on me? Or does my mark look like it's there sometimes, it's not there sometimes, it looks more hypocritical? Does our mark become more of a place of judgment or legalism? 
somehow through the gospel in connecting with God, somehow we're able to be someone who doesn't enter into complaining and arguing and that we can show kindness and love and generosity in very, very harsh environments. We can live extraordinary lives in very difficult circumstances. And this is saying, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're male, whether you're female, the mark works for you. The gospel empowers you. Verse 7, and everything set, uh, set them as an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. You ever think you could, you know, bring conviction on someone because they can't find anything bad to say about you? Isn't that a great problem? I mean, when they make up bad things to say about me, it's really good because if they had something bad to say about me that was true, they would use it. So when somebody lies about me, I really don't take that very personal. When they tell the truth about me and it's bad, I take that very personally because it's me. Philippians 2, work hard to show the results of your salvation, the power of Jesus in you. Sorry, I lost my place. This is so that in every way we make the teaching, we make the gospel, we make the message about God our Savior attractive. All of this has been about people getting to see the message in human form. That it's real, it's alive, and it works. I'm actually feeling quite good. Now, I took a muscle relaxer just before I came up here. So if I doze off, you can just throw something at me. Um, but <clears throat> I, had, um, I was feeling quite a bit better with the prayer. I was feeling quite a bit better with the prayer. And when people feel better with prayer, it makes the gospel attractive. When people see kindness they don't deserve, it makes the gospel attractive. We have the power to make God's message attractive. In this next text, we run into the same thing. Titus 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way 
they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Now, through history, Christians have used texts like this to validate slavery. Now, if you read other places in the gospel, Paul speaks against slavery. And they had a different version of slavery than we have today. And this is not about slavery, but they had people who were who put themselves as slaves. A lot of their slaves were very educated because they it would actually be a position that was a place of honor. They could hold land, they could do these things. But Paul still did not condone slavery. But you see how God uses people in those places. When we look at Daniel, you've heard of Daniel in the lion's den. Did you know that Daniel was a captured slave? He was an Israelite that was taken as a slave in battle. And what God did is have him honor the king that he worked under. And he became such a powerful person under this king to honor the king, to show value to the king. The same way with Joseph. Joseph became subjugated and that's where God used his power. That's where Joseph became the salvation. Daniel became the salvation of the people. Joseph became the salvation of the people. So, I want you to see what the text is actually saying here. If you're a male, if you're a female, if you're young, if you're old, if you're a free person, if you're a slave, if you're rich, if you're poor, you can have the mark of salvation. And wherever you are, that's where it starts to work. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be divorced. You don't have to be single. You don't have to be educated. You can be poor. You can be homeless. You can be a slave. And the gospel still works. And his statement is, embrace the gospel. Start where you are. and Let God move. It is a difficult thing for me, at least, to see words like this. But I, I love the fact that the gospel is for everyone and that it works in every circumstance and that God will produce life for people. It says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself uh, for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own. You see, God is looking for a people who will be his very own. They will look like him. They will sound like him in all their circumstances. Wherever they are, whatever is happening, 
The gospel is for that moment and that time with that person. The idea that God's power is available to everyone. It overcomes the world. It sets a person up to embrace and anticipate and hold confidence for a new future. So as I embraced the gospel, what I began to see is that this future that looks very different begins right now, today. I can start to look like the future. That's the promise. You know, it it doesn't mean um, my world will be perfect. It doesn't mean my marriage becomes perfect. It doesn't mean my circumstances will become perfect. So many people enter the gospel for the hope that it will make their circumstances perfect. And it doesn't. What the gospel does is makes you perfect in your circumstances. That's what the gospel does. So when you're talking to a person on death row, the gospel is perfect for them. It's not about not going to hell. It's about being who you are right now. Right now. My... um, my love of the gospel and the simplicity of it that confounds humanity is powerful because no matter who I walk up to, where I am in the world, I can share something with them. I can impart to them something that is so powerful that no matter how compromised they are, the gospel can reach them. It can touch them and it can change them. And when you become changed on the inside, that's when you become outside of the power of your circumstances. Years ago, I was in Mexico and I've told this story, but I think it's been a long time ago. Um, I was walking along the waterfront with a friend of mine and we were going to a place where we're going to have a little kind of a service. It was maybe a one-mile walk. <clears throat> this young man was 15 or 16 years old. And uh, between my broken Spanish and he actually had a little bit of English, we were, we were fighting our way through the language barrier. And uh, I invited him to come with us. <clears throat> he was drinking a beer. He said he declined because he had his beer. And I said, go ahead and bring your beer. And we're walking along together. And I said, so why is your beer so important to you? And he said, because it helps me forget. Beer can do that. Enough beer, that can do that. I said, what is it that you're wanting to forget? He said, my cousin is gone, is missing, and I can't find her anywhere. Who talks like that about their cousin? I said, it sounds like you love your cousin a lot. He said, I do. Now, what I'm going to say at this moment, 
I'm going to say is from the Lord because you're going to, when you hear what I said, you're going to go, wow, that was really crazy. And it was. But if the Lord gives it to you, then crazy still works. I said, um, I know someone who knows where your cousin is. He looked up at me astounded. Tell me. Tell me who, who he is. I said, his name is Jesus. Tell me where he is. I said, it's Jesus, the son of God. Tell me where he is. I want to talk to him. I thought, he isn't getting the message. Um, <clears throat> so I explained to him about God and Jesus and who Jesus was. And I explained to him that Jesus loved his cousin even more than he did. And that he loves him. And we had a conversation about Jesus. And I asked him if he would like a relationship with Jesus the way Jesus had longed for a relationship with him. And if he was willing to trust Jesus with his cousin if Jesus really, really loves her. And he said yes. And he received Christ there in the water, not in the water, but next to the water. Now we had a, there was another guy with us. It was his buddy. <clears throat> and his buddy didn't speak any English. So most of this conversation was in and out for him. And he did the most surprising thing this young man did. He then turned to his friend and he led his friend to Jesus right there in front of me. And he would turn to me to get clarification on something. Then he would go back. And this went on for like 10 minutes. He's explaining the gospel. He's explaining his gospel to his friend. And I'm standing there, and I am, what I am experiencing is just how powerful the gospel really is. Because now his friend is in tears, praying and asking Jesus to be in his life. Those circumstances did not change. They didn't change. <clears throat> but the people of the circumstances were changed. That's what the gospel does. And when people change, then they're no longer victims of their circumstances. And in that place, we see the power of God move. There are people all over the world in very treacherous and difficult places and very hopeless, hopeless places all over the world. Places without food, without freedom, without liberty, without family, without health, who are cold, who are hungry. And what you'll find is the gospel is at work in those places, changing their reality. <clears throat> I was reading the news, I was watching the news this week and realizing the mudslides in California right after the record fires and 
somebody asked this lady, a victim of the floods, so what would you call this? And she said, apocalyptic. And if you don't know what that word means, it's a 50 cent word that means it's the end times. So we have record floods, we have record fires, we have record earthquakes, we have record all kinds of things. And a lot of people equate these things to an end times. And I, I, I put them anywhere you want. Here's what I would say. More and more, the world, the people are afraid in the world of the future. They're afraid of the circumstances that are in front of them. They are a people in need of a gospel. This is the time where I believe God's people need to be truly a people of the gospel. Not just that we have the stamp, but that we have the mark. And it's a mark that shows because people are looking and want to see a gospel that they can see. For me, I'll just tell you, to me it's an urgency. If you were to give me complete freedom to speak this morning, I would say that you're here today and it's not just a chance or an accident, but you're here because this is a critical piece of your reality. It's here to set you free. The gospel is here to set you free. And to let you be everything you were created to be. And the world is dying to see something that shows it has power in all circumstances for everybody. If you would stand.